Good morning. Good to be together this morning. Just to prepare you for this, if, if this is a little different look, I just had to borrow my wife's glasses because I found mine are broken. So I uh, just went to put them on. The arm's broken off them, so we're changed a little bit. Let's pray together, okay? Father, you are a great God, and we look to you in hope. We come together here this morning to worship you, and we've been doing that. And I just thank you for the words of those songs, words of truth that encourage us, that draw us to focus in on you and on you alone above all other things. And as we come to this place together this morning as a congregation, I pray that you would help us to um, put in priority once again this relationship that we have with you. This relationship that you have offered to us in your son, Jesus Christ. So lead us, we pray, as we're here together this morning. Uh, Help us to glorify you. Uh, We pray that you, Lord, you alone would be honored through this time. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, this Sunday marks the first Sunday of what they call Advent. And I don't know how familiar familiar you are with that term, how much you're used to uh, this idea of celebrating Advent. Uh, Coming from a Baptist background, maybe not. Uh, Maybe you've come from a non-Christian background. And of course, you wouldn't be into this uh, celebration of Advent And we can scratch our head a little bit and go, well, what is this Advent all about? It's a more traditional, or with more traditional churches, it's it's more of a custom to have Advent celebrations the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Well, really, Advent comes from the Latin term that means arrival. And so, of course, we're talking about the arrival of Jesus Christ into the world. That's what this celebration is about. That's what this preparation is about. It's about preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus. And as we have decided, or maybe uh, I have decided for us, that we're going to celebrate Advent this year. We're going to go through these four Sundays. We're going to use the classical themes in preparing for Christmas. Um, We're not going to do this just as an intellectual kind of study going, oh, okay, let's see what other churches do. But we recognize that this is a good practice. It's a good preparation. And the themes that we're going to be studying this this morning and on through the next few weeks, they are absolutely important themes that we want to engage with as we think about Jesus Christ. As we think about why he came into this world, as we think about the hope that we have in him together. So I hope that you can follow along with us as we we study these themes with not simply a sense that, oh yeah, these are themes that have to do with Christmas. No, these are themes that have to do with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ for all times. These are absolutely important themes. And he is the, the, the centerpiece of these themes. Each one of them will bring us right back to who he is. Who he is to us. Our relationship with him. And also, there's another 
undertone through this Advent celebration that I wasn't really aware of before I started looking into it a little bit. But originally, initially, when they started having Advent services or Advent preparation, it wasn't simply to look back at the history or celebrating Christmas and Jesus Christ's first coming. There was also this idea that these themes have to do with the second coming. Christ's second advent. Because he is coming again, isn't he? And this is incredibly relevant for you and I. So perhaps as we look back to how people were looking to Jesus' first coming, it will help us apply these themes to where we are right now today. Because Christ is coming again. And we need to be ready for him. So we're going to be looking at this promise and how it applies to us today uh, as well. Because we know that throughout the scriptures, it tells us, be ready. Matthew uh, 24 says, for in such an hour that you think not. I think I'm quoting the King James. That's what's in my mind right now. Uh, The Son of Man comes. He's coming. He's coming again. And are we ready? Do we have um, hope? Do we have faith? Do we have joy? Do we have peace? As we think about Christ's coming into this world, not just then, but again. Well, we live in a day today, in a world today, when everybody says um, what they want to say, And they expect people just to understand them. People define words in the ways that they want to define them. And it seems like a lot of the conflict and problems that we're dealing with is because people don't know exactly what they're talking about today. And so meanings of words can be important. And I'm thankful that when we look for the meaning of a word, when we gather here together together, and, and we're considering truth, we have a place to go to, to define the words that define that truth. And so, this morning we start with this theme of hope. And we've been singing, and, and a lot of what we sang this morning really captures that idea, but it, it comes from the fact that we have a biblical idea of what hope is. And so, I'd like to start out this morning just by looking at a definition for hope. And um, Pat read Psalm 130 for us this morning. And you know, when we read these Psalms, it's not really that they're just a, a poetic preparation for the message. Those Psalms, many times they are the message. Or they contain the message in and of themselves. So I'd like to start out this morning looking at Psalm 130 a little bit and considering hope from what we read in Psalm 130. And first of all, verse 7, what's it say? It says, Israel, hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. We're called to hope in the Lord. This is the exhortation. And we could say, well, what does that mean? Is it like, I hope so. I sure hope that I can count on the Lord. You know, a lot of times when we talk about hope this morning, 
or in, that in this world today, we talk about an uncertain hope. We talk about someone, oh, just, you know, against all odds, we hope that something is going to happen and maybe there's no chance or no real chance that it will take place. But Israel, in this psalm, is called to hope. They're called to hope in God. And it's not a hope so. It's not a, you know, well, maybe you should adjust your hopes so, for the, so they're more realistic. You know, we do that sometimes in this life, don't we? We adjust our hoping, even at Christmas time, so that it's a little more realistic and we won't be disappointed. Think about what you're hoping for this Christmas. What is it you would really like for Christmas? What do you want? A, a new car? A new house? Uh, kids? You want a, a pony? A motorbike? What is it? You know, and, and we can have these grandiose hopes with no real hope that they'll come true. But when it comes to what God is talking about in the Bible as the hope that we should have, can have in him, it's completely different. Let's look at verses 5 and 6 of this psalm. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman or a watchman, more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman wait for the morning. And as we think, as we think about the definition of this term hope, and as we look at what is being talked about here, we understand that what we're talking about is a sure hope. And we understand what hope means. It's talking about actually waiting participating, expecting something to happen. And I wrote it out this way. Having hope in the Lord means waiting with an active confidence in the guaranteed result that He has promised because of His proven faithfulness. It's not sitting by the road somewhere with a silly optimism that a bus will come by and pick you up. Hoping in the Lord is going to, running to the bus stop, knowing that the bus always stops there. It's coming. That's what we have conveyed to us in this hope in the Lord, like a watchman waits for the morning. You think of it. I don't know if you've ever done that, ever had to sit up all night, be awake the entire, well, some work shift work and work at nights and they know about working all night but imagine somebody who has to sit out there like a watchman for the night shift they know the morning is coming because it's come thousands of times before sometimes it's a little gloomier sometimes the sun peaks up and immediately there's a a brilliant ray of light sometimes it's foggy and and You know, although it's a little lighter, you kind of go, is it morning? Is it morning? But they know that the morning is coming. There's a sure hope that it will come again, just as it's come before. And that is what our hope 
in the Lord is all about. When the Bible talks about hoping in the Lord, it's talking about this sure hope. Because he has been faithful. And he will be faithful once again. It says in verse 7, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there's a steadfast love. We've experienced that love. We've seen his consistency. We've seen how again and again, sometimes it's a little brighter, sometimes it's gloomy, but God comes through. Maybe it's not always the way we want it to be, but he always comes through and he is always there, just like the dawn. And so, we look to the Lord with hope, a sure hope, a confident hope, an active hope. We are waiting, waiting for Him. And so, this is how we go to the Word of God this morning, as we consider His coming then and His coming once again for us. We go with a hope that is a sure hope, that is an active hope, that is a confident hope. And because hope is, is tied up in our relationship with God, as I go to the Word of God, as I went to the Word of God this week, I sort of got uh, tied up in so many different areas, so many different directions, and I could have got lost in it all. In fact, I was getting lost in it all. But to limit ourselves this morning, I thought we need to look at one brief story. And that will limit ourselves. You're saying, well, we don't need to be limited. You're the guy who needs to be limited. So to limit myself, we're looking at one brief story. And it's a story I know that you all know because you just saw it in cartoon form. Um, presented very clearly, concisely. And so this is even going to speed things up for us even more this morning. But the story of Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read through the biblical account of what took place with Simeon and Anna in the temple as they were awaiting the Messiah. And we are going to understand uh, hope personified. We learn better from stories, don't we? This is what it says here. Now there was a man, in verse 25 of Luke chapter 2, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, now, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. That you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. 
And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up. At that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We're going to look at a few questions this morning. A few questions about hope and about that activity of hope. Because hope is an activity, biblically. You know, you think of it, we talk about waiting and we talk about hope. We talk about this attitude and about this activity. But it was interesting as uh, we lived in Peru and as we talked about hope in the Spanish language, there's only one word. There's only one word that includes both of these ideas, the attitude and the activity. And I think we need to bring them together when we talk about Christian hope. And so the question is, what are we waiting for? What is it that we're longing for, that we want? Well, Simeon is a fascinating character. And as we look at him, It almost seems like he was the only one that was waiting for the Messiah. He was the only one that had continued to be faithful, that remembered the Old Testament prophecies. 400 silent years. We talk about 400 years between the Testaments. Four centuries between the last prophecy that God gave to his people And then when he sent his son. And here is this man who is faithfully waiting. This man prompted by the Holy Spirit to be looking for the Messiah. Prompted by the Holy Spirit knowing that he was going to be alive to see that Messiah personally. Well, he wasn't the only one. We saw how there was Anna. And we saw how she spoke to others who had said, we're waiting for the redemption of Israel. And so we realize that he is a representative of the remnant of Israel who are waiting, who are waiting for the Messiah. But something else, as I began to study it this week, and it wasn't too in-depth, it was just simply reading it through, all of a sudden I recognized something that I hadn't recognized before. It was sort of like one of those, you know, three kings moments where you realize, "Eh, the Bible doesn't say there are three kings. But you know, here the Bible does not say that he was an old man. We had the cartoon, and we know that every other representation we've probably ever seen of him was an old man hunched over with a long beard at death's door, But the Bible doesn't say he was old. We assume he was old. 
because Anna was old. We think he was old because it's presented that he's saying, now I can depart in peace. But it doesn't say he was going to die right away. And we have to ask ourselves, is hope just something for old people? Well, think back to Christmas once again. Think about how your kids acted, how little children are around Christmas time. They sometimes do a much better job of hoping than we do, don't they? I mean, that's why everybody wants to have kids around at Christmas time. Because we see the light in their eyes. We see the expectation. We see that they're yearning and longing for that day. And all that it will bring. But we have a much more mature definition of hope, don't we? We've learned to calm it down. Because so often our expectations have been disappointed. So we don't want to go to the high and then the low. So we just kind of try and maintain a... But is that what we're supposed to do? Is that what we're supposed to do when it comes to thinking about God fulfilling His promises? I don't think so. We don't have to uh, hold back in terms of our, our yearning, our longing when it comes to hoping in the Lord. Because He will fulfill His promise beyond all of our expectations. Well, what is it? What is it that we're waiting for? What is it that we're hoping in? What is it that he wants to give us? Well, he wants to give us peace. He wants to give us peace. The word, the term that we see there in this story, uh, in verse 25, let's look at it. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel. Who needs consoling? People that are upset. People that are disappointed. People that are in despair. And you know, we think about the people of Israel. Think about them generally. We think about what they have been through. For years, for centuries. For thousands of years. They had been known as the people of God, the children of Israel, Israel, prince with God. And yet, what was their experience? What were some of the things that, that they were uh, involved in? They were an oppressed people. They were without food, without land, in slavery, in exile, struggling, suffering. Centuries of that. And you can imagine them scratching their head and going, God? But we're your people. You're all powerful. You can do anything. And they were in despair. And so the coming Messiah was known as the 
consolation of Israel, the consoler, the one who is going to come and satisfy them, come and give them peace. Israel wanted rescue. They wanted to leave the unhappy oppression of they of where they were and they wanted to get on the bus that we talked about earlier and go somewhere else. But it's not a place on the map. It's a place in terms of relationship and our relationship with God. And we know it has everything to do with Jesus Christ. Everything to do with his salvation. Everything to do with his payment for our sin. You know, I was reading a few weeks back something about uh, the Messiah and the Jewish take on the Messiah. And we know that even the disciples, as they were following Jesus, they were looking at him as someone who's going to be a military redeemer, right? He was going to free them from the oppression of Rome. And as I was reading this site uh, a couple weeks back, it said, it was a, a Jewish person talking, and they said, the idea, the idea that the Messiah would be anything but a military ruler is only a Christian idea. It's only you Christians who believe in the New Testament who think that the Messiah is anything more than just someone to give political liberation to Israel. But you know that's not true. What about the psalm that we read this morning? What does it say? What, what's the whole point of this hoping in Israel? It doesn't say anything military, anything political. In fact, as we get to the end of the psalm, where it says hope in Israel, it says, for, the Lord, for with the Lord there's steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Verse 8, and he will redeem Israel from all their Iniquities. Peace with God. You know, we can struggle with what's going on around us in the world. We can feel that there is no hope in this world. And, well, that is the truth. In and of itself, there isn't hope in the world. In and of, the, of, of itself, there's just a lot of suffering, a lot of struggle in this world. But that struggle and that suffering and that disappointment and that discouragement and that death is all simply representative of the discouragement and the disappointment and the death that there is in separation from God. A separation from God that is there because of our sin. And so we understand that at the foundational level, the hope that we need is a hope that deals with this problem of sin and separation from God. Peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1, that one who paid for our sin on the cross at Calvary. That's what we're waiting for, isn't it? Peace. We're waiting for that rescue, for that redemption, where we're finally taken out of, as Paul calls it, this body of death. This struggle, this suffering struggle that we call life. And we once again, or once and for all, have a perfect relationship with God. We're waiting for peace. Well, what is it we're waiting on? Well, as we look at Simeon, uh, verse 26, it says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It's beautiful in there. It talks about the Holy Spirit and his involvement in a couple of places. And we think back to uh, just our study in Acts and what seemed to come and go in the Old Testament is something that we can experience and enjoy personally and permanently. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But here Simeon is waiting for a very specific promise that the Lord gave to him about the Messiah. He was told, you're not going to die until you have personally seen him. You can think how people have been waiting, as I said, over centuries. How they would start to think, ah, well, you know, someday, someday, the Messiah will come. Instead of saying, someday, the Messiah is going to be here. And because of this relationship that Simeon had with God because of the Holy Spirit speaking to him, he knew that it wasn't just someday. It was someday. And I wonder about us and how we're waiting for the second coming. The Messiah coming again. Do we wait like it's someday? (laughs) Someday. Or like it is someday? Do we expect him to come? Are we waiting in hope? I mean, generally speaking, the Israelites had a promise right from the beginning. Genesis 3.15, you remember when we were studying that? They were waiting for the birth of a child right from then. God said to Adam, after Adam and Eve fell into sin, the serpent will crush the heel of your seed. There is some child that is going to come. The serpent will crush his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. There will be a special child who will have victory over Satan, sin, and death. We know that in the prophets, at the end of the Old Testament, there are verses like Isaiah 7.14 that says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. The Old Testament is littered with references to the Messiah, to the coming one, to a child that will be born. 
specific or promise to the people of Israel. But the responsibility is to be waiting. To be waiting in hope. To be waiting committed to and focused on. And as I was thinking this through, I thought, what is the worst thing for our hope? What is the thing that kills our hope, that, that crushes our hope? You know what it is? It's waiting. It's waiting inactively. It's just that sort of, well, I hope so kind of waiting. We're standing around doing nothing and not really believing. Believing that the hope will be fulfilled. Think about it. Do you see this promise, the second coming of the Lord, as something that is a hope that will be fulfilled? Are you like Simeon going, hey, this could be fulfilled in my lifetime. I'm waiting. I'm watching. God will fulfill His promise to me. Is it a personal promise for you? Because of God indwelling you in the form of the Holy Spirit? Think about it. How do you hear this? 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 18 says this, For we declare to you by a word from the Lord, a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, won't precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of the Lord. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. How do you hear that promise? Do you hear that promise as a personal promise to you from the Lord? Your relationship with Him, your walk with Him, the the Holy Spirit living within you helps you to see that promise of the Lord's coming again and taking you to be with Him forever as something that's personal. Are you living not inactively waiting, but actively waiting for the fulfillment of this promise? Last question. What are we waiting with? I want to look at verse 37 here. Let's read it. Talking about Anna. It says, And then as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple Worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. 
Once again, we have a woman exalted here in the story, in the story in the scriptures. And so many times we think, oh, yeah, second place citizen, women and, and that. No, she, in fact, is talked about as having a faithfulness that rivaled or exceeded Simeon's. Look at what it says. This 84-year-old woman was faithful in her worship and her service to the Lord. She's the one who begins to tell other people to share with those around her, this is it. He's here. The long-awaited deliverer has arrived. She was the one who exemplified the characteristic of perseverance. What do we wait with? Do we wait with perseverance for the Lord? With this expectancy that carries on, that that we live in daily. She had this endurance that was incredible. You know, I've already said this, the worst thing for our hope is waiting. Waiting inactively kills our hope. Do you know what the best thing for hope is? The thing that makes hope stronger? Waiting. Waiting actively. Because you know when you are expecting something, when you're preparing for it, that hope just builds until you can't stand it. Think once again of children pre-Christmas. And this is where we learn from this lady, Anna. It says, she didn't leave the temple. She was there worshiping, fasting, praying. She had nothing else. Her life circumstances were pretty dire. She was a widow. In fact, as we look at this that it says she was in the temple night and day. She probably lived there. She was one of these people who, one of these women who was a widow and had no one to care for. Widows in that time could not own land. Maybe she had no family whatsoever to care for her. And you know, so many times we we get discouraged and we think, how can I hope in God? Because look at my circumstances in life. The person we have before us this morning in this text is a person who circumstantially in this life had nothing. So much so that she was living in the temple off of the charity of others. And yet, she had hope in God. Let's not think that the hope we have in God depends on our circumstances, our day-to-day circumstances. Shouldn't. In fact, as circumstances get worse in this life, it should turn our eyes away from this life. So many times, the, the little hopes that are fulfilled in this life, ooh, I wish we could 
We could move here or have this or do that. Distract us from that which is true hope for all eternity. When has this life given us, offered us or given us anything that is a long lasting, fulfilling satisfaction in terms of hope. It's always, oh, from one thing to the next. If only I could have. If only we could do. And then once that one's fulfilled, it's off to the next one, isn't it? If only. If only. And we tend to live our life off of these, you know, stepping stones of if only I could have this and that. And none of them have any lasting relevance or satisfaction. And it should turn us away from hoping in the things of this world to placing all of our hope in God. In the peace that he offered through Jesus Christ. In the promise of salvation. Eternal salvation. And it should drive us to persevere. To persevere in these things that that we read of. That Anna was persevering in. Worshipping. Fasting. Prayer. Centering our entire life and all that we do around the worship of our God, our relationship with God. You say, well, what about everything else we're responsible to do? What about my job? What about my family? What about, yeah, all that should become worship to God as we complete our responsibilities because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And as we go on through this life, realizing that again and again, the world falls short in fulfilling its promise of happily ever after, in giving us peace, a deep-seated peace that goes way beyond the, satis- or the, the, the satisfaction in, in just temporary things in this world. We need to be persevering with this, this focus, our eyes on hope personified. Hope personified. I wasn't talking about Simeon and Anna, although they did live out a true hope. Hope personified. I wasn't talking about us embodying hope, although we need to. We talk about hope personified. We talk about the person of Jesus Christ in whom is peace with God, in whom all promises that God has given us are fulfilled. Let us persevere, worshiping him through our lives so that we have a hope that is uh, an act of waiting, growing, 
daily in expectancy that He will come again. And He will finalize that relationship that we have with God. Father, help us. Help us to to know you better as we live in this life. So many times we say it's a distraction. So many times I say it's a distraction. It's distracting us. But we see these two faithful saints, how they were not distracted. How ongoing waiting only developed their hope in you. Because as they waited, they worshipped. They drew closer to you, more focused on you. And I pray that as we come into this Christmas season, that our lives, by the power of your Spirit in us, would be tuned to just a growing expectancy on you showing up. Not simply historically, but also looking to the future. You will come again, Lord. You are redemption. You are our rescue. Lord, we will. We will live this life in hope. As you give us strength as we walk in obedience and intimacy with you. Please lead us, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.